The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world willing to talk about this meaningless international baseball exhibition series. I'm Jake Mintz, that's Jordan Schusterman, and we hate other cultures. Yeah, we've spent a lot of time talking about something that absolutely means jack shit. Now I just feel like an idiot. I mean, my goodness, we've spent a lot of time on this game. I turn it on. I've watched all these games and I keep like I keep watching to try and figure out if it means anything, like just to make sure. And so far, my conclusion is absolutely not. I know, because now that people on the Internet have told me that it doesn't matter, it's that so the WBC is irrelevant. I feel like a dodo because I wasted all this time. That is basically what we're going to talk about here on today's episode Another day, another WBC-related show. Now, we were going to have this be the American League East preview, but then the Puerto Rico-Dominican Republic game was so interesting and ended with such a unique and sports-tragic scenario that led to a tsunami avalanche of awful discourse that we felt obligated to hop in and share our own Irrelevant opinions on the matter. Jordan, are you ready to do this thing? Yes. And then we should also mention later on in the show, we will have a, a special guest uh, come on to talk about a, a different, more complicated WBC subject that is Cuba, who is about to play in Miami on Sunday. So that'll be the second half of the show. But yes, we are obviously going to start with Puerto Rico versus Dominican Republic and everything that followed. And boy, was there a lot of everything. Um, Jake, because we have been talking about this meaningless, dumb tournament the whole time, let's talk about the game because the game was freaking lit. The game lived up to the hype that it deserved, even for a meaningless game. Totally meaningless. You could tell by all the fans cheering how much, how little they cared. Uh, this was the game to determine who would make it out of Pool D. We know Venezuela went undefeated. They look fantastic. Um, even though they gave up a run to Team Israel, go, <laughs> but we'll, we'll give them we'll, we'll give them a, a pass on that. Uh, Puerto Rico DR final score five two, but I'm not sure that fully encapsulates what watching this game felt like. So let's kind of review the biggest moments of this one before we get to the obvious conclusion. Forgotten moment was Johnny Cueto coming out in the first inning for the Dominican Republic and throwing. Fuel. I mean, he was 93, 94, 95, shimmying up a storm. And my thought was, put this guy in the back of a bullpen right now. <laughs> I mean, this is a lockdown eighth inning guy unless someone gets on base. Now, you could tell, and this is part of the no one cares argument, that guys are like throwing harder for their own teams, except for the American guys who are <laughs> throwing the opposite. I'm not just saying this. It's Merrill true. Kelly they, doesn't throw that hard. I mean... <laughs> That is true. But I th I saw an article on Baseball America, I think, about how the U.S. relievers' velos are down and a lot of the other guys' velos are up, which is very interesting. Um, I mean, anyway. Marlins, fans, Marlins fans were like, wait a minute. I just watched Johnny Cueto throw 89 in spring training. 
At the same time, if there was anyone that could flip a switch, regardless of the, you know, tournament circumstances, it is obviously Johnny Cueto. So. Correct. And Cueto's throwing Chet in the first, throwing Chet in the second, and then he comes out in the third. And it appears as if he emptied the bag a little too early as he left a 90 mile an hour meatball in the middle of the plate that Christian Vasquez took out to deep left field. And from there, Puerto Rico poured it on in that frame. Brian Abreu came in out of the pen and a series of singles and choppers and gappers and the like led to Puerto Rico taking a 4-0 lead. Next frame, Juan Soto hit a ball to Mars. Unbelievable. I've never seen a home run hit to that part of the park. Yeah, especially for left-handed hitters. Like his, I, I mean, I tweeted about this, but like he's always trying to do this, right? And I know that hitters say, oh, you know, trying to go right center or left center. You know, I'm going opposite way. But like only Juan Soto can do it so consistently and so incredibly. The backspin that he is putting on the baseball and the way that he kind of gracefully falls out of the batter's box as he launches a ball to left center. I know this was more straightaway center. Is unlike any, like it is such a defining moment or like just a defining image of what, are like this generation of baseball is is that Juan Soto swing that we have seen in the World Series and now we have seen in the World Baseball Classic. It is amazing. He is amazing. He looks amazing. Holy shit. Like, I, this is the other thing I've just, as we will get to our NLS preview, just thinking about Juan Soto and how relatively underwhelming he was on the Padres last year. Like, that is a fact. It's not just that he hit 240. Like, it just wasn't all the way clicking. I don't think that's going to happen this time around, man. He looks sensational. But that's just one run. It's still 4-1, to one, Puerto Rico. The Dominican then threatens. It becomes 5-1 to one after a uh, Julio Rodriguez whoopsie-daisy. The Dominican threatens, I believe, in the bottom of the fifth. Bases loaded, nobody out. Alexis Diaz struggling on the mound. Manny Machado up at the plate. And this is, if you've watched any Dominican Winter League baseball, the key moment of the game. Key moment of the game. Shouts out to Mirabal. Manny Machado comes up, as you said, base loaded, nobody out. Alexis Diaz has totally lost it. And on a 1-1 pitch, he gives Manny Machado the pitch that he had been crushing all week. That was the weirdest part. He was, uh, Manny looked fantastic too. You know, he had, I think, like four balls hit over 380 feet earlier in the week um, against against uh, either Nicaragua or, or against Israel. Like, he was ridiculous, but here he was. And Manny Machado, he is amazing. He's one of the best baseball players on earth, but he is prone to the old GIDP, and that is what happened at the worst possible time. A run comes in to make it 5-2, to two, but you could tell, like, that was it. That, as we like to joke, that was the season, right? That was the season right there. In that one uh, double play on a fastball right down the middle for Manny Machado, Rafael Devers pops out and Puerto Rico gets out of the inning. From there, they kind of hold on. The Dominican threatens in the sixth. Frank Mejia flies out to end it. And then the Puerto Rican relievers shut it down. Uh, Jorge Lopez throwing in the seventh. Dwayne Underwood Jr. in the eighth. And then Edwin Diaz throwing absolute fuel in the ninth. They get the final out on a strikeout and they celebrate. Puerto Rico beats DR. And that is when... The entire thing changed because in the celebration, as we now know, Edwin Diaz was like bumped someone's knee or landed bizarrely on his foot and had a tear of his patellar tendon when his knee buckled. He has already had surgery. It is an eight-month timeline. 
And it was one of the most shocking moments I can remember seeing on live baseball television for some time. It has led to a, as I mentioned, an avalanche of takes and thoughts about the importance of the WBC. But before we dive into that, it is important to note that the priority here is Edwin Diaz, that the experience, like this emotional roller coaster of an experience for someone is not something that I would imagine you can get past very quickly. Having your leg go kablooey in front of that many people in that type of moment is must be incredibly taxing. And for his brother, Alexis Diaz, who was crying, uh, watching Edwin get wheeled off in a wheelchair, it's all like a very traumatic type of experience, even beyond the sporting aspect of it. And so I just hope that Edwin is okay and that he recovers healthy and that he can get back to dominating in 2024. Yeah, and again, like just the emotional swing of that, right? Puerto Rico beating the Dominican Republic in that game, uh, that meaningless game, and you could tell how little they cared when they won. Um, they, to then immediately, right? Oh my God. Like the the guy, the heart and soul, the whole point, like this is the other part of it, of, of why it was so shot. Of course it was shocking. The whole week was basically building up to Edwin Diaz closing a game for Puerto Rico. You know, that is really what it felt like. We, had, we didn't have an Edwin Diaz Moment, I know he, he closed out the run rule victory over Israel. Like, that's not the same thing, right? But, like, this was it. This was the whole, this was one of the moments we were all looking forward to and all the Puerto Rican fans were looking forward to in this tournament was Edwin Diaz closing out a game, right? And he did it. He freaking struck out the side and looked amazing. And, like, that's what he was. And then we have this horrific freak accident. And so that is where we now uh, proceed with this podcast because. As this happens, as you just said, the most important thing is that Edwin is okay. And we now know as we record this a couple, you know, at the time we were all speculating, oh my God, how bad is it? Is it Achilles? Is it is this? Is this? You know, we know, as you said, right patellar tendon, sur- surgery timeline, he, you know, gonna have surgery eight months. I mean, some people could say, oh, maybe we make it back at the end of the season. Whatever. We're gonna count, we'll count him out. I, I would love to be wrong, right? The point is, is he's gonna be out for most of the season. And the most important thing is is Edwin and <laughs> one of our favorite people, of course, right? I mean, this is a guy that we've, I mean, I as dating back to days in Seattle, there's there's there are a few people I am always rooting harder for than Edwin Diaz. So that that is all obvious. But what this has sparked, what it has opened up, just because we live in a very stupid time, is an opportunity for people who clearly already were not comfortable with this tournament, as another important point to start. Uh Use this as a ridiculous excuse to start getting angry about the existence of the tournament in the first place and all of the risks associated with it, X, Y, Z. So, Jake, um, we're going to try to go slow here. We're going to try not to get too angry. Again, it's been a couple days. And also, I think that the people listening to this podcast, they know where we stand. And we're now this will be a, a nice little therapeutic preaching to the choir. But we Bingo. did want to take some time to uh, address some of these thoughts and why we feel they are particularly goofy. We are yelling into an echo chamber of our own creation. We understand that if you're listening this deep into this episode or to our podcast at all, you are a like-minded baseball fan. But let's just jump into this. We feel that the best way to kind of tackle the arguments against the WBC is to quite literally read them aloud and pick them apart. And so we are going to begin with a tweet from Barstool Chicken Boy that reads as follows. 
quote, the people who are defending the WBC are such dorks. That tournament sucks and is absolutely not worth risking exactly what unfolded tonight. Nobody cares and all of you pretending to care are lame. Now, the context here is that this person is a Mets fan. If Edwin Diaz was the closer for the Royals or the Diamondbacks or the Braves or the Phillies, this person would not feel this passionate about it. And I think that is relevant and understandable. I want to say, if you're a Mets fan who's not from Puerto Rico, this really sucks. Like for your fandom, it's a bummer, right? It's okay to feel sad about it. It's even okay to feel slightly angry about it, considering that as a Mets fan, there's a feeling that the universe is always conspiring against you. But what it is not an excuse to do is to critique uh, the people who are enjoying the tournament. You can critique the tournament. That's fine if you're going to do it fairly. So let's go through this, this, this tweet. First part I want to mention. That, quote, that tournament sucks. Jordan, how do you watch Puerto Rico versus DR as a baseball fan and believe that it sucks? I'm willing to give, like, Israel-Nicaragua or Pretty Panama. Good game. <laughs> it was a good game. But, like, Panama-Italy or China-Czech Republic. If you want to say that's not entertaining baseball and the players on it aren't that good, I will give you that. That's fine. That's for the dorks like us. I'm totally willing to admit that. However, if you watch Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, a lineup, like two lineups with tons of all-stars on it, some of the most famous and best players of baseball, and you're like, this sucks. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I don't I don't know how that is a bit a, a like baseball. Um, but I will say that may be the most accurate part of this tweet. People defending the WBC are such dorks. That's true. Guilty as hell. Hell yeah. I am am, uh, a dork through and through. Happy to be so. Now, I also want to get to the other part about this that I think if you contain it to the three words or a few words is there is a kernel of truth. Almost. Maybe. Absolutely not worth risking what unfolded tonight. So. Again, that is preceded by this tournament sucks, which, as we just stated, does not make any sense at all under any person who was watching, which very likely was not actually the case. But not worth the risk. Let's talk about the risk, Jake. Okay. The risk is you are, what are the risks of playing in the WBC? Let's talk about it. Are you playing a higher intensity game than you would be on the backfield during spring training? Yes. Yes, you are. Right. Are you maybe throwing harder and more than you normally would be? Yes. Yes, you are. Are you existing in the world in the same way that you still generally are in a a baseball field? Yes. Yes, you are. Right. Uh, But the thing about this is that like the players all know this. The players want to do this. They have, imagine this, they have, can have feelings and free will and want to, (laughs) want to play in a different setting, a more exciting setting than on the backfields, as Mookie Betts alluded to. And also, as we know, you can get hurt anywhere else, and that's fine. That's that's part of life. <laughs> it's part of life. You can even get hurt in spring training. Yes. Gavin Lux, friend of the show, who tore his ACL in a spring training game. Cade Cavalli, pitcher for the Nationals, tore his UCL or sprained his UCL yesterday. Andrew Painter, injuries pop up in spring training all the time. Mm-hmm. And I am willing to concede that playing in the WBC – 
you know, maybe you're laying out for a ball in the gap or there's a collision that you're willing, you know, things like that. Yeah, there's a, an additional level of risk, but that risk is assumed and that risk is made worth it or assumed to be worth it by the players who are opting in to playing. Last point on the risk, there's not risk for the teams from a financial standpoint because we now know that the Mets are insured and will not need to pay Edwin Diaz. Sorry, they will pay Edwin Diaz the money, but will be reimbursed the money through MLB's insurance. Now, obviously, the risk is still there because they do not have Edwin Diaz in 2023. Like that is. But as we just said, that could have happened in spring training, right? And but that's the other thing is, oh, people's oh, well, he's not. He's not. He's paid to do this. He's not paid to do that. Well, okay. I don't know why you are worried about how Edwin Diaz is going, how much money he's making or whatever. It should be about the fact that, yes, he's not going to be on the team. But again, why are they doing this? Why are they doing this? Why are they risking it? Why are they willing to play in these meaningless games if it's so risky and not worth it? Because <laughs> clearly it does mean something, right? Listen to the, the way these players talk about playing in this tournament. They want to play they know like yes you can say oh mlb's putting this on and oh, oh my god well what's this is the best time but all of these players are opting in and you and all you have to do is listen to them they are the product they are the ones who are the reason we watch the sports at least it is for me i guess i, I guess maybe i can't assume that right um and so that's a part of this too is, is all the you know rooting for laundry stuff but to me it's like i want to see what the players want to see and if they are going to be playing in a baseball thing that they love even more sounds good to me Next quote, nobody cares, and all of you pretending to care are lame. I am lame. Again, also true. I'm certainly not pretending to care. (laughs) can promise you that, but nobody cares. So nobody cares is an idiotic point because 63 million people or whatever watched the uh, Japan-Korea game across the world. That is way more than the most people who've ever watched a World Series. Now, I understand that like... There are reasons for that. There are a lot of people over there who don't always get to watch the national team and MLB is not as accessible. But 63 million people cared enough to put it on their TV. I saw a statistic that 45% of Japanese households watched the Japan-Italy game. That's a big-ass country, my man. Okay, so you can't say nobody cares. Nobody that you know cares because you have never left the comfort of of your fraternity house since you were in it 25 years ago, and the only people you know think a certain way, that might be true. But the fact that saying nobody cares is stupid, insensitive, and detached from reality. And it is connected to the idea of meaninglessness, which is something that a lot of people have said. And this is where you can bring in MLB fandom and Mets fandom. The World Series and our own specific team fandoms only matter, they only mean something to us because it has, like time has created that. We prescribe meaning to a team winning the World Series, but hoisting that trophy doesn't actually do anything. It doesn't change anything. The Mets win or the Reds win, like my mom's life doesn't change. Mm-hmm. So as is the case with 99.999% of Americans and percent of people in this world, And so the reason that there's meaning there is because, you know, we have learned over the course of our lives to create an attachment to these specific professional baseball teams. That attachment that this person who tweeted this is feeling towards the Mets is a similar attachment that the players are feeling to their countries. And so this dude is 
weirdly close, like the passion he's displaying that is brought on by the way he feels about the Mets, that same passion is why guys choose to play. Because for a lot of these Latin American players who grow up in these countries, like they don't care about the MLB teams. They don't grow up as a Red Sox fan or a Cubs fan or a Marlins fan. They grow up as fans of players from where they are from, right? And so they cheer for the people throughout their careers in a way that is similar to like the NBA or soccer. And so when they have this opportunity to watch their favorite players play together underneath a flag that means something to them, that is very, very far from meaningless. And that is why you see the clips shared where you ask the Dominican players, would you rather win a World Series or a WBC? And yeah, I know they're being asked before a big WBC game, but there wasn't even, they weren't even like, thinking like, yeah, WBC, like this, this means more. And like, that's makes sense. They, it is more personal. You could say, oh, it's not what they're paid to do. Oh, what's the highest of profession is the World Series MLB? Like baseball is so much more, means so much more to different people for different reasons in different contexts. And this opportunity for them to play for their country is amazing and also applies to some of many of the American players, the way they talk about it, the way they talk about it with Trout. And we, we've already discussed why it maybe means less to a larger percentage of American players than it does to those coming from Puerto Rico, from Venezuela, from Cuba, from Japan, whatever, right? You're going to make a point and then I want to move on to comparing it to the World Cup. <laughs> okay. I There's also the, the, the aspect here, like these players care less about their MLB trade teams. Right. The reason that they that is a job. Okay. At the end of the day, it is a job. They are labor. Right. And so why would they have a loyalty to the teams that they play for over their countries when those teams are the ones that can trade them willy nilly? Now, I understand Mm -hmm. in this context, Edwin Diaz just got a hundred and whatever million dollars from the Mets. And so there is a sense of obligation that I'm sure he feels some sort of guilt in that way, right? But that's not his fault. That's not on his shoulders. And that's not fair to him. But there is a component of this, like, why is Edwin Diaz on the Mets? Okay. He got traded there. Could have got it traded to any other team. Same thing with a lot of these guys. Gene Segura, who's on the Dominican team, like he just signed with the Marlins because they decided to give him the most money. That's it, right? That is a different level of loyalty than the place that you are from, right? For Edwin Diaz, the Mets is a job. Puerto Rico is a home. Yep. It is an identity. And, and that is not even a close decision. Yeah, and that, and that's how it applies to just like these players. Like, yeah, we have favorite players in our favorite teams. And of course, I'm a Mariners fan. I don't want Julio to get hurt. Or I don't want these. Like, duh, right? That's But that's not like making anything up. And at the same time, like I, I want to see them do what they want to do because I like them and I like to see them happy. <laughs> like That's another right. basic thing. It's like, these are my favorite players. I get to watch them more and have more cool baseball things. Like, sounds good to me. One more quick thing is that the the other reaction here and the over, I'm not trying to dunk on Mets fans, but understandably, the people who are frustrated here are Mets fans because the Diaz injury directly impacts the Mets. Edwin Diaz is not your plaything. He is not for you. His injury is not about you or the way that you feel. It does not revolve around you or even your team, the Mets. Like the idea that someone watches a baseball game and see someone get injured, and their first reaction, their knee-jerk response is, how does this make me feel about the team that I care about because I happen to be born within a 50-mile radius of their baseball stadium, or because my parents were? That is so detached from reality 
and like doesn't have grounding in critical thought. And yeah, but, makes but me as very we, frustrated. But as we said before, like that doesn't mean you can't be sad and, and upset about it. It's just that like that of can't course. be the first uh, take. And I know that um, I believe it was Francisco Lindor's wife, Katya, was posting on Instagram like, guys, we need to relax about how this impacts the Mets regular season. Like this is a person that we care about and that should be uh, first and foremost. Um, the one other thing that I just, again, like we're not trying to get here getting mad, like, but I, this, this is the stuff that legitimately makes me laugh is the responses that say, and now we're jumping ahead to just like a variety of responses that you'll see on Twitter saying something along the lines of nobody cares it's not like the World Cup. It doesn't mean the same thing. Nobody is growing up trying, uh, you know, dreaming of playing in the WBC. First of all, that's a, that's false because just listen to any of the younger players. Like, listen to Julio talk about it. Listen to these Luis Arias talk about it. Like, they they quite literally did grow up wanting to play in this in this tournament. Jesus Lazardo got to meet Miguel Cabrera when he went and watched him play in for Venezuela way back when and other teammates. Like, they they do grow up watching this, and it will only be the case more and more. And the point about that is like, okay, oh, it's not as big as the World Cup. All right, well, if you're telling me that soccer is bigger than baseball, like, thank you for the information. Like, I'm well aware that soccer has more fans than baseball. And <laughs> also, the two other things is one, saying nobody cares. This tournament just started. It's it just started. It's not as ancient as the Olympics or as uh, history as the World Cup. It's like, all right, well, are we supposed to just never start something new and try to do something different? And then saying that it's like, oh, it's not the World Cup. But it's the closest thing we have. And shouldn't we want to have something like this? Sure, it's not 99% of the best players the way that the World Cup is, right? I understand that because we know what Team USA is not at maximum capacity. But this is pretty damn close and it's pretty freaking cool. And like, I don't know why, unless you were just completely opposed to international baseball for some reason... Um, I don't know what, like they, I know that there's still work to be done with this tournament. I know this tournament isn't perfect. I know that there are flaws in it and there, there are ways it can improve and there are challenges within it. And I, that's fine. It's not perfect, but duh, of course, yes, it is relatively young, but that's great. We're figuring this out. I'm so glad that we have the opportunity to watch these games and try something different instead of just except like why, like I can't imagine 20 years ago, I know they had some Olympic baseball and whatever 30 years ago, but like thinking, well, I really hope that they never start international baseball tournaments. That would really stink. <laughs> like, I don't understand that. Like, we have it now. We hopefully will we'll find ways to make it as good as possible. It's not a perfect tournament, but um, <laughs> it's pointing out that they're not talking about it uh, on SportsCenter. That is a SportsCenter problem, <laughs> not a WBC problem. Uh, so I think uh, that's another thing to remember. You know who didn't grow up watching the World Cup, Jordan? Yeah, who? Guillermo Stabile, who scored eight goals in the first one. You got to start somewhere, okay? <laughs> you got to start somewhere. Like, yeah. it, we got to have new things. You can't just rest on the laurels of sports society. Okay, last point, and then we will take a break. <clears throat> Keith Olbermann, a fallen from grace uh, sports center host who I have seen wearing jean shorts in the mess press box multiple times. He had a tweet. That said, quote, first Freddie Freeman, now Edwin Diaz. The WBC is a meaningless, talked about that word, exhibition series designed to get you to buy another uniform to hell with the real season and split up teammates based upon where their grandmothers got laid. Call it off now. First thing, exhibition. It's all an exhibition. Okay. <laughs> the World Series is an exhibition. The winner's 
don't like get to become king and the losers <laughs> don't go to the dungeon all or the of this gulag. is made up we're all just we made up sports to have a good time and also saying that some a sport a professional sporting event exists to have people pay to go see it and watch it on TV. Also not news. <laughs> like, yes, I'm, I, I am aware of the capitalist society that we live in. Uh, and yeah, uh, guilty. I, I, wow. Like you got me, you fooled me into watching and you Damn. know, the, those, now those ads that the cost a little bit more for the networks and like, okay, all right. Got there it. is no ethical <laughs> consumption under capitalism, Jordan. I'm sorry to tell you. Before we get to the truly deplorable part about, about the sweet two, let's start at the beginning. Freddie Freeman has like a regular oblique strain that he's not going to miss opening day. That's very different than a, <laughs> than a, or sorry, hamstring strain. That's very different than out for the season. So uh, all that's already, already a goofy, a goofy thing. So yeah, exhibition, that's just weird. Uh, split up teammates is very funny to me. Like I said, you go in, especially for a guy like Olmerman, who has been in MLB clubhouses, you understand you walk into any MLB clubhouse, most MLB clubhouses you will see the American players talking to one another and you will see the Latin players talking to one another. There is a real issue in a lot of these clubhouses where those two groups don't always become friends and intermingle and mix and interact with each other. And so in seeing that, one takeaway that I had was, wow, they probably really want to play with people that are like them for one, two week stretch every three years. And so the idea that like some of the guys on the Dominican Republic are like, no, don't take me away from the random, you know, uh, NR non-roster invite who's invited to camp, who's from Texas, who I have nothing in common with. No, no. Like they have, oh God, I have to go play with Nelson Cruz and Robinson Cano. This sucks. No, no, like, no. Okay. no. Uh, grandmother's got laid. Just insensitive, weird uh, comment. Uh, especially in the context of Puerto Rico and the Dominican, when ninety nine percent of these two teams were born there. If you want to make this off color joke in like a game that's Israel versus Italy, where there are a lot of American players playing for countries where they're not from, I disagree with that. But at least that would hit a little bit better. I believe that the WBC exists to take unique groups of people, communities within the larger baseball culture, and give them the opportunity to play together. And this is related to Team Israel. When I watch the Team Israel uh, guys play, I don't feel pride for Israel. I feel pride to be an American Jew. And they're just, it just says Israel across the chest, but I am able to look past that and have it mean something to me. And I would imagine that the Italian-American community feels the same about the Italian team and that a lot of the Bahamians mm -hmm. feel uh, that way about the Great Britain team and so on and so forth. Last point about this, and then we will take a break. Call it off now. Now, besides the hilarious idea that Edwin going down and getting hurt is going to nix the entire tournament halfway through is so funny. It is like, so hey, funny. Hey, Samurai Japan, just sorry, turn or turn around. I just that we don't want that to. Yeah, we you can't do this anymore. <laughs> going to need you to U-turn that jumbo jet, big dog. Like what? They're not nixing this now. My, you, you dodo, like that's not how this works. I understand if you wanted to say, we can never do this again. Okay, maybe like I disagree with you, but I see what you're saying. Call it off now is so funny, right? Like call there's some sort of- Call it off now is also like, call it off now invokes the image that everything related to the WBC, and this kind of goes back to the way people talk about it in terms of the risk, is like this horrific hazard. That like when I turn on a WBC game, 
I'm like looking through, I'm like closing my eyes and like barely squinting because I'm like, oh my God, what horrific injury am I about to see? It's like, no, it's just a baseball game. Like, it's just, this weird shit's going to happen sometimes. And so it's like, it's so funny. That's the kind of thing that you call off if it's like some sort of horribly dangerous, um, uh, you know, activity. That is not what a baseball game is. They played Monday Night Football the day Kennedy got shot. They played that Monday Night Football game the day that the president of the United States was assassinated. Well, and you want to call off this year-long planned international years sports long. Are you kidding me? I mean, years long, six years long planned international sports tournament because a guy tore a muscle celebrating? Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, it's so funny though. That's, uh, I, I love call it off. Anyway, go ahead. Let's end on a positive note. This tournament's not going anywhere. When I saw Rob Manfred speak to reporters in spring training about a month ago, the WEC was like the first thing he brought up, right? And the one thing that we've learned is that Manfred, if he prioritizes something in the game, it will get done. Like for better or worse, that is a fact. He is good at that, right? Pushing the things he wants to push. And fortunately for us, he loves the WBC. He sees it as vital to the health of the sport over the next 50 years. And I think he's right. And as long as he wants it and he and MLB is interested in keeping it alive and growing the event, it's not going anywhere. It's only going to get bigger. I don't think in three years we're going to have like Edwin Diaz shadow hangover convincing players not to play. I don't think this has a long term negative impact. And for that, I'm encouraged. And I will say, too, right, like that's another big part is. Why is it okay? You want to be cynical and say, "Oh, it's all money grab, whatever." That's that's just the life we live. Okay, so again, not breaking news, but also remember what this is really about, right? How do you grow a sport? Not just grow the league. You're growing a sport, and that is also part of Rob Manfred's job. And this is a way to grow the sport, literally around the world, to have countries like the Czech Republic and Great Britain have players that can pursue and can dream about playing in this tournament. Like you have to have them have the opportunity to do so, not just because the tournament exists, but because those teams can actually advance and can win these qualifiers and can put a team together. And then, and so that you have players in these countries that are striving towards something, even if it isn't playing an MLB, it's playing in this tournament. And that is how you grow a sport. And that is why this tournament is so important. Let's take a quick break and we will be back to preview the bizarre final six teams remaining in the WBC. Negro Leagues Baseball Museum President Bob Kendrick hosts the SiriusXM original podcast, Black Diamonds. The Negro Leagues didn't care what color you were and they didn't care what gender you were. Can you play? Hear stories of the leagues and legends that shape sport, culture, and society. That's why the museum is so important. It's like, we are never going to forget you. Episodes of the award-winning Black Diamonds are now available wherever you get your podcasts. We're not talking about balls and strikes. We're talking about your life. And we're back here on Baseball Barbacast. Jake Mintz, that's Jordan Schusterman. All right. We have six teams remaining in the World Baseball Classic. Because of the way that the pools are structured, we had a little day off yesterday for the most part, besides the Japan-Italy quarterfinal in the morning, and we are left with the following situation. Tonight, Friday night, Mexico and Puerto Rico will play a quarterfinal game, and the winner of that will go on to face Japan in the semis in Miami. USA-Venezuela 
They will play on Saturday night, the winner of which will go on to face Cuba in the semifinals. We'll get into Cuba with our guest Alden Gonzalez of ESPN here in a second. Let's just quickly breeze through Mexico-Puerto Rico. By the time you're listening to this, this game has either happened or is about to start, and so we don't want to spend too much time on it. Great pitching matchup here. Marcus Stroman against Julio Urias. I believe they have a little bit more leash in terms of pitch count, correct? Yes, uh, it's it's 80, 80 pitches in the, in the quarterfinal. And I would say that the big takeaway for this game is Marcus Stroman. I mean, he's, again, you can laugh, oh, it's a short history, but like, he was the tournament MVP in 2017, having made three great starts for Team USA, and now has the opportunity to just like build on his WBC legacy, now pitching for this other great team and can pitch Puerto Rico into the semifinals. So um, yeah, cool opportunity for him. We could do a whole podcast two hours long on Marcus Stroman and what he is and what he means and what he says. He did have a good quote tweet of Chicken Boy in, in defending the WBC. I think that the fact that he is playing for Puerto Rico now after playing for America before is awesome and is like a very cool way for him to show off his own identity mm-hmm. as a person and that it is multifaceted and that it is complex and that he feels a connection to both of these places. You could critique Marcus Stroman for 80,000 things. This is certainly not one of them. I wanted to say one other thing just on Mexico. I mean, obviously, Julio Urias, one of the best pitchers left in this tournament. Huge opportunity here. But on Team Mexico, yes, we've talked about Joey Meneses. He's been great. Randy Rosarena is such a freaking fun player, man. And he is he just loves these games. And of course, it's a cliche. But I don't know how what more you need to see that this dude is as chill as it gets when it comes to these games. And it would be the least surprising thing in the world if he has a massive moment tonight against Puerto Rico. He has been amazing. So just wanted to mention him. Can either of those teams, Mexico or Puerto Rico, legitimately challenge Japan, who has stormed to the semifinals without really being challenged. Yeah, so they are five and zero in this tournament. They have dominated. The, the thing to watch with Japan moving forward, basically now all of the bats have heated up. The question with them now is, what does the pitching look like the rest of the way? They have so many options. We saw Darvish come out of the bullpen against Italy. I don't know if that means he's done. You know, we're not going to see Otani start again, but or at least I'm ninety nine percent sure we're not going to see Otani start again. We will see Yamamoto. We will see Sasaki in some order. Are they going to keep those guys together? Are they going to kind of use their six other awesome NPB starters to get through the semifinal? We will see. I'm just very curious to see how the Japan pitching lines up. They have more than enough options. I'm still picking them to win the whole thing, but I'm curious how the pitching lines up uh, in Miami for them. The other side of the bracket is the USA against Venezuela. Winner moves on to play Cuba. Now, USA finished second in their group, and that is why they are tasked with facing Venezuela. Kind of a tough bounce here for the Venezuelans who went oh, 4-0 for the in their group. That's true. That's a good point. I went 4-0 say, in like, their group. U.S. Like, got what they what they pay. You know, that's that's what they get. And and it right. is true, right? Like, that is that is why, you know, winning your pool is so important. But it's a good point. Uh, unfortunately, Venezuela, we don't have a pitching matchup as of now. Um, but either way, I think the, the thing here is going to be USA clearly has – I think the bullpen advantage, I would say. I know the Venezuelan pitchers, bullpen relievers have been really good, but I still would lean USA there. But Venezuela has a lot of starters that I really like. So I don't know who that's going to be, what the order is there. But also, like, the Venezuela offense has been so good, and the USA offense is also heated up. So I would love to see a slugfest with this one. Like, this this would be great to see the offenses fully operational instead of a pitching duel. I do think it will be Pablo Lopez 
for Venezuela because he started the first game of pool play for them. And that is kind of how it has blocked out. Like Stroman started the first game, I think, for Puerto Rico and Urias started the first game for Mexico. And there's actually an extra day of rest built in for Venezuela because that game's on Saturday. So I would guess it'll be... I. Does the U.S. throw Wainwright? Like no way, no. They, I, I assume that they are either going to go. I mean, there's some guys that still haven't pitched for them yet. But again, we'll we'll find out. We don't need to speculate on that. Like that's true. I, it can't I, be. It can't be Wainwright, and it can't be Brady Singer, and it's not going to be Jacob Degrom or Garrett Cole, and that's what matters because they're facing this Venezuela lineup is probably going to bang anyway. So, uh, I man, that one is great. But you're right. It is. It is a tough bounce for for Venezuela. I will say because um, this is another like no shit. Mike Trout's so good. Oh my Mike, god. Mike Trout is so good. Mike Trout in center. He had some plays in center. I was like, oh my God. Like he is moving out there. He is like, he is just so locked in. He's been he's been so much fun to watch. So it's great. I love watching Mike Trout play important games. Now Team Cuba has made it to the quarterfinals in Miami. Semifinals. It is what? Semifinals. They're, semifinals. They're semis. Sorry. They've made it to yeah. the semifinals in Miami. Now uh, Miami is obviously a place that has a lot of Cuban Americans in it and a lot of people of Cuban descent. Cuba's baseball's return or uh, visit here to Miami is, we talked about this on the last show, super complicated, super complex, not something that we're going to begin that we have to, un- to pretend like we have a grasp of. And so to help us unpack, explain, and dive deep into Cuba playing the WBC semifinals in Miami. We're going to bring on Alden Gonzalez of ESPN. Let's kick it to Alden. Uh, Alden, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for having me, guys. First time, uh, long time. Absolutely. I, you know, I know the Cuban American community just loves Lone Depot, so I'm sure this is going to be <laughs> a really meaningful, intense uh, couple days for them. So uh, here, there's a million different ways we could get into this conversation. You wrote a really great article over at ESPN.com about the dynamic with the Cuban team and the WBC. It would take us a hundred podcast episodes to unpack Cuban-American relations and how baseball kind of fits into that. So let's start with a very simple question. How did it come about that Cuban players in Cuban players who had defected or left Cuba, how were they permitted to play on this year's team after years of that not being the case? I think it would take a hundred episodes just to answer that one question, to be honest. Um, I'll try to distill it in uh, about a hundred seconds, maybe a little bit more. Um, So I think you have to start with the fact that the Cuban baseball product has fallen off dramatically in recent years. I mean, you remember that Cuba used to dominate the international stage, whether it was the Caribbean series or the summer Olympics or the Pan American games. And we even saw just a hint of that, in the first World Baseball Classic in 2006, they were the runner-up team, right? But there's been such a wave of defections from Cuba. There's been so much economic hardship on the island, even more so than before, especially coming off the COVID-19 pandemic. And, you know, I, I spoke to um, a Cuban journalist named Francis Romero, who wrote a very detailed book that chronicles basically every baseball defection from the island. And he identified the period between 2011 and 2018 as just like this huge rush of Cuban stars leaving the island. Uh, I think in 2015 alone, it was like over 200 baseball players, which is half the Cuban national series, right? 
And so it just got to a point where it was unsustainable to be able to keep up. And, you know, the talent eroded with that. Uh, I think one really important thing to note here is it used to be common for maybe like star players who were getting the attention of major league scouts to leave Cuba once they had established themselves, at least in their early to mid 20s. Right. But what we've seen recently, and this is according to Francis Vermeer's research, is that you have teenagers who are leaving, star Cuban teenagers who are leaving the island because they don't foresee a future of Cuban baseball there. And their parents are basically trying to get them out of the island. And look, <laughs> I mean, the average fastball in the Cuban National Series is in the mid-80s, okay? These guys don't see velocity anymore. Upper echelon talent in the island is just not where it needs to be. And I think they've had some embarrassments on the international stage. Most recently, they finished last in the, in the last Caribbean Series. They didn't qualify for the Tokyo Olympics. And I think there's been a lot of pressure to just, I mean, this is baseball is their thing. Baseball is what they've always taken pride in dating back, especially with Fidel Castro in, in the 1960s. Um, and I think that led to the pressure to finally include some major league talent. But as I'm sure we'll get into, it's not as simple as that. Go ahead, Jordan. So you you mentioned, right, like how many defections we have. And we know that Luis Robert and, and Yohan Mankata are playing on this, which is a very historic, uh, you know, inclusion. At the same time, you know, we had 33 Cuban-born players in the big leagues in 2022, and only two of them are playing on this team. So in your article, you kind of talked about why there's a difference between certain Cuban players and others in terms of how likely it was that they were going to play for Team Cuba in that. So what are some of the dynamics at play there in terms of what influenced guys like Moncada and Robert to decide to play versus some of the other ones who either weren't invited to play or had no interest in playing for Cuba this time around? Yeah, there's a there's a there's one objective reason and there's one very subjective reason for this. The objective reason being if you leave the team during international play, you are not invited. You can't go. And now the players that that applies to, it would be the Guriel brothers, Yuli and and, and Lourdes, um, Aroldis Chapman falls into that bucket, Jose Iglesias, a few others. You leave during an international tournament, in their eyes, you have abandoned the contract. And I think part of the reason, and I'm not trying to justify this, obviously, but part of the reason why that is done is because the Cuban government feels as if there has to be some penalties for you to leave during international play. Otherwise, everybody would leave, right? Uh, otherwise, like there has to be some incentives to not leave. And so this is kind of the punishment, right? That you don't get to play in a situation like this that they consider to be historic. The other one, and this is a, something that um, the president of the Cuban Baseball Federation said, dating back to April. So dating back from the beginning of when this concept was first born, that major leaguers might be able to play for Cuba in the upcoming World Baseball Classic. He said that it has to be people who are in favorable, favorable standing with the government. That's not a direct mm. quote, but that's essentially what he meant. People who have not spoken out against the Cuban government, which goes, which speaks to just sort of like the communist sensibilities of Cuba, right? I mean, you could face jail time if you speak out against the, against the government in the island. And that applies to a lot of different guys. And this is where I say that this is subjective because... You know, you have guys who were, and I don't know if we're going to get into this later, but you have guys who were in support of the independent uh, organization that was trying to field an independent Cuban team. It was guys like, well, Rodas Chapman again, Raisel Iglesias, um, Jordan Alvarez, I think, was very involved with that. Aledmiz Diaz was too. And these are guys who, some more than others, to varying degrees, have spoken against the Cuban government publicly. If that's the case, you weren't invited either. But I think a lot of this is really hard to pin down because there are some situations where 
I think, for example, somebody like Randy Rosarena, right? Randy Rosarena has said for a while that he wants to play for Mexico in the World Baseball Classic. He left Cuba, went to Mexico, became a citizen there, loved it there, and has always talked about wanting to represent Mexico. He was never invited either. Was that because he's not in good standing with the government, or is it because he already says he's playing for Mexico anyway? Whatever, right? Um, Same thing with, like, uh, Nestor Cortez, who said he was going to play for America, right? Exactly, yes. And I heard uh, Nick Martinez is one who I think they invited, but he didn't want to play for them. He was not born in Cuba. He was born in the United States, but he's of Cuban heritage as well. Um, Yandy Diaz is somebody who I'm not sure if they invited but he's also somebody who's spoken dating back to last year that he has no interest in playing for Cuba. So they might not have even extended the invitation. And on top of that, I will add that a lot of these guys, Aroldis Chapman being one, um, that were not going to be invited anyway. Even if they were invited, they weren't going to play. They don't want to play for them because support playing for the Cuban team in their minds, they're supporting that government, especially when you put those conditions under it. And for a lot of people, and this is what the article is essentially about, it's just too difficult to separate the politics and the oppression of that government from the baseball side. A lot of people really struggle with that. So let's flip that point ahead to what we're about to see in Miami, where there's an enormous Cuban-American population. You yourself, if you take a look at Alden's uh, Instagram, you will see Cuban-bred Miami-born. And I'm sure that you have a lot of you know, family members and friends for whom this quite literally, uh, you know, applies. Do you think the crowd in Miami is good? Like, will the Cuban community in Miami show up in favor of the team? Or is there enough sentiment that exists in Miami where they are kind of unable, like you said, to separate the flag from the team? I think it's going to be mixed. I've gotten that question a few times ever since uh, Cuba qualified for the semifinals in Miami. I think it's going to be mixed. I already know that there are going to be protests in Little Havana, which is where the Marlins yeah. Park resides. There's already an organized protest that's going to take place on Sunday. And I am certain that during the game, there are going to be people holding signs that are against the Cuban government. But I do think that there are some people who are going to root for Cuba because they have an easier time separating the government from the baseball. And that, look, I just, full disclosure, that takes place in my own family, right? Like my parents, like I, my dad has always been adamant that like he does not want to root for the Cuban national team because rooting for the Cuban national team means supporting that government and everything they did to him and how they made his life so difficult. And that's a very real problem for a lot of people. Other people, I have other people who came over more recently who just want to see Cuba do well because... That's their country. And, and I, I try to make this point in the article about how the sense of country, the sense of patriotism is so elusive to Cuban-Americans. And I think that struggle is more real for them than for anybody else, because they can't separate that because the politics and the culture are just so entwined um, that they don't. They, they don't have a sense of country. They don't have a team that they could root for in an event like the World Baseball Classic where you see everybody become so passionate. I mean, I've been blown away, honestly. This is the first time I cover World Baseball Classic by just the passion of Puerto Rico fans and fans of the Dominican Republic and Venezuela. I'm sure Mexico is going to be like that in Miami, too. I know it was the case in Phoenix. You're going to see on Sunday, and I'm guessing here, obviously, but I think it's going to be very mixed. I think you're going to have a lot of people that are going to be rooting for the opposing team and for Cuba to lose. There are some people who could separate it, but I think for a lot of people, that is very, very difficult. 
And what is the history of the Cuban national team playing in Miami? Because the WBC has never, they have never played in Miami in the WBC on this stage. I'm pretty sure that the most recent time they were there was before the Olympics when uh, an Orioles prospect named Cesar Prieto defected. But what is the history of this team playing in this place? You know, I've been trying to pin that down. And from what I've heard, well, you, you got to consider, too, that this ballpark has only been around since, what, 2012, right? Um, before that, the Marlins didn't play in Miami. They played in Fort Lauderdale. And if you've ever been to Florida, you will realize that Miami and the rest of Florida might as well just be two completely different countries, right? So <laughs> they, I don't a Cuban professional team, right? And professional, I mean, like the teams that compete internationally against other professional teams from other countries. I don't think they've ever played here. Um, I, I think that that is unprecedented. Um, and look, I think a perfect example is they qualified so early. They've been training on Vero Beach. They're not here in Miami right now. They're going to be in Vero Beach. I think they're going to come by tomorrow for a workout just because they want to get familiar with the ballpark that they don't know. But I think right after they go right back to Vero Beach. I don't know that they're staying here. So it is, I don't think that has happened. And it's going to be really interesting to see what happens pre-game on Sunday. The thing I'm fascinated by, too, is, is the fact that you started with the fact that Cuban baseball has fallen off and that there's been pressure and motivation internally to just have a better baseball team, whatever it takes, even if that does mean inviting, you know, Nestor Cortez or inviting players that even have defected or have left in all these various ways. And I think that maybe goes to show, right, like they, they want to be proud of the baseball team. The government clearly wants to send a good baseball team. And it clearly took like Moncada and Robert were huge parts of them even advancing this far. You can tell that that has already paid off. What I'm curious about is the relationships between the Cuban players in general. You had a good quote in your article from Aledmus who's basically saying like, yeah, I have no ill will towards Robert and Moncada. Like this is a very personal thing. We're all, you know, deciding this one way or the other. But what is your sense for how the Cubans interact with each other and, and what it means to play or not to play um, in this decision, which is obviously an unprecedented opportunity for them? I think a lot of them have bandied together um, and, and not not that it was some sort of orchestrated thing. I think these things sort of happen organically where it's so the, the, that struggle that I talked about, about separating the government with the baseball is so real for a lot of them that, you know, they're united by that situation. Right. And so I I spoke to a role Chapman about this, too, and, and he, he neither he nor let me said that they spoke directly to Moncada and Robert about that situation. But I think the sense that I got from them is they kind of get it. And Aroldis made the choice, made the point of like, look, I mean, these guys, it's probably been their dream their entire lives to represent Cuba. Right. And I think Moncada and Robert spoke to this during at spring training when they talked to the media before leaving about how, like, I think it was Moncada who talked about like, and it might've been Robert. I might be confusing the two, but one of them, like, what, like remember like seeing the the team playing for team cuba and like wish to be on that plane playing in international yeah. tournaments and so like for some of them this is a childhood dream and does that mean that they're in agreement with the government and they support the things that they did no um i think they just want to play baseball and have pride in their country and, and i think and, and i don't want to speak for others but i think it would be even if even if you have the stance that you have which is very understandable you know, I, 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 you'd be hard pressed to just sort of fault them for that, right? Because I think there's a longing for a sense of patriotism from these guys, and they see it as an opportunity. Look, I, I spoke to um, Miguel Vargas and Oscar Colas about this too. These are younger players, 
And the main reason why they didn't go is because they're trying to win a job in spring training, right? Like this is a very important spring for each of them. But Oscar Colas wants to play for Cuba. Miguel Vargas might play for Cuba too, although he acknowledged how difficult that might be. And they long for a future when that separation can be made and everybody could play for Cuba, right? Mm -hmm. How feasible that is, I don't know, but they want that. So maybe that's an, an unfair, like you just said, you, you, you don't know. And so much of this involves bigger questions that go far beyond baseball. But do you think that this is a hint at what we will see more in the future? Looking forward to the next WBC, do you think we're heading towards a situation where it's more likely we do see more? Maybe it's not all of them, but maybe there's you know six major leaguers playing next time. Or do you see a situation where this is, by, by that time, you know, it's gotten even worse. The quality in baseball in Cuba has gotten even worse because there's been more and more defections. We've seen some of the top international signings recently. Again, like we've seen signing at 16, 17. And when you look at their roster now, there's no one in their early 20s, right? That doesn't exist on this team. It's the guys that have been there forever. And then it's Moncada and Robert. So where do you see this kind of going as far as the future of the Cuban team from what we can understand now? Two important points to make before I I opine on that. Number one is that the Cuban government said that as of now, this is just a this year thing that they're going to they've only committed to doing this for this year. Now, look, maybe maybe they'll do it again in three, four years when the next WBC comes. But that's what they're committed to now. And the other thing, and this is an important point that Alemis Diaz made that was in that story, which is that it's going to be difficult to get a lot of commitment when you have a manager who's tied with the Cuban government. Right. I mean, like, look at some of the other managers in the other countries. Right. Like you look at like somebody like a Mike Piazza for Italy. And you looked at somebody like a Yadier Molina for Puerto Rico. You know, if, if they could install a manager who's maybe a, co- a current coach in the major leagues with Cuban roots, who is not tied with the government, that that would get more guys to join. I, I think there's no doubt that. Joan Moncada and Luis Robert and also Joanna Cespedes to a certain degree being on that team will open the door for other guys. Like I just mentioned, Oscar Colas and Miguel Vargas, like those guys will play. But will you get to a point where you have a fully representative Cuban national team? No, because I think there are very real obstacles in place that have no signs of going away, one of which is Cuba's relationship with the United States and the embargo that still exists and their government and how they navigate that. Like those things aren't going away. Those feelings aren't going away. And there's going to be a major segment of Cuban Americans who don't want to play for them. And so this is this is something that's just completely above any of our heads because it's at the political level and just the dealings between two governments that for 60 years have had basically no relationship whatsoever i don't see how that i I don't see how those walls come down and those walls basically have to come down in order to feel the representative team i think and i think that speaks to how intertwined baseball is in the relationship between the u.s and cuba because correct me if i'm wrong cuba kind of sees the sport as their you know front door, their front stoop to the world in a lot of ways, because it is how they are interacting with other countries through baseball, particularly America. And so because it holds so much importance in Cuba, that doesn't feel like something the government's going to give up very easily, right? Like give up control or be uh, be willing to make concessions moving forward. 
Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I, I think it's yeah. a fair point. They, this is their thing. Like, yeah. if they want to have a representative team, especially given the state of Cuba on the island, they have to basically punt it to Major League Baseball because all their best players are in the major leagues right now. And I think I think you're absolutely right, and I should have mentioned that. The Cuban Baseball Federation wants to have control of this. And, like, for example, I don't see the Cuban Baseball Federation ever allowing players who left internationally to join their team. I, I don't think that's going to be uh, – I don't think that will ever happen. I mean, look at – and. Two guys, I should have brought this up earlier, two guys that they wanted to join, Jose Abreu and Jordan Alvarez, two of the best Cuban-Americans going, they called, they didn't answer the phone. That's what the manager told the local media out there. I mean, there's just, I, I think some guys are never going to come around to that idea. Will a new generation um, have different uh, a different approach to the subject? Maybe, but I don't know that that's really going to manifest itself until the next like, 10, 15 years. Uh, let's end on this because it's funny that you brought him up before we did. Um, is Johannes Cespedes actually going to rejoin the team on Sunday? I, <laughs> I hope so. I mean, his, his latest, this is maybe an ins- defection from his own Cuban team and then, <laughs> and then return saying he'll return to Miami. I know he lives in Florida, of course. I don't know. I mean, he's, you know, continues to give us uh, relative amounts of drama. I don't know if just since you've been in Miami, if you've heard anything on that. So I figured I'd at least ask, but uh, I know he wasn't playing super great, but we would love to see him play again. Yeah, no, I was very curious to watch him too. I asked somebody earlier today. They didn't know. Um, Cuba does have a workout tomorrow morning here and mm-hmm. that's going to be asked. So hopefully we could get those answers, but right. I don't know what he's dealing with, but clearly it was some sort of family emergency that he had to leave. He did say he was hopeful or somebody said that he was hopeful of joining them for the semifinals. Look, I think if I could separate the, the, all the politics from the baseball, it would be really cool to see you at Cespedes. Like I was really looking forward to watching you Cespedes play baseball again. Um, and hopefully we had that chance because I think a lot of people in Miami would really look forward to that. Alden, thank you so much for joining us and for uh, gringo splaining a very, very complicated situation to us. Thank you to Alden Gonzalez for coming on and helping us unpack some things that I definitely did not understand. I hope everyone enjoyed that conversation. Jordan, what did you learn? Did you learn anything? I learned a lot. And also I learned that he, even a relative expert who has talked, been talking to people about this all week, doesn't quite know what it's going to look like on Sunday. And that's all the more uh, reason to tune in. Not that we weren't already going to be. Uh, I mean, I'll get over the fact that all the games are meaningless and, and don't matter. Uh, but once I accept that the games are pointless and exhibitions designed to me make me buy a jersey, I will accept, all right, maybe the baseball game will be okay. So we hope everyone enjoys these meaningless games for the next few days. Uh, I'm so excited for them. Uh, Any final thoughts, Jake? If you think these games are meaningless, wait till you hear about life. (laughs) Um, So uh, enjoy the quarterfinals, semifinals. I guess we will talk um, before, after our next episode will be uh, following that game uh, on Sunday night. So we will talk to you guys on Monday. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll recap that. We'll return to our season previews with the AL East and, and, and beyond. Um, but until that, thank you to Chris Tyler for producing this during March Madness. <laughs> and thank you uh, to Alden again. And thank you to Jake. Uh, close us out, my friend. Monday morning, going to paint you a picture. You're supposed to do the AL East preview. But oh no, Yoannis went five for five with five home runs after jumping down from the roof of Lone Depot Park wearing a Superman cape and roasting a spit, uh, roasting a pig on a spit in midair. 
He falls to the turf, grabs his bat, says he's here, takes the pig off the spit, uses the the bar from the spit to whack five home runs and lead Cuba to victory. Mm. And all is well with the world. Oh, sorry. Just woke up. See you Monday. Serious XM Podcasts.